0: Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Oh, our God and our King. Oh, Lord, we thank you for it all. Lord, oh, we thank you for the, all the good times, how they, uh, how they make us rejoice and give you praise, Lord. And we thank you for the hard times, the, the difficult times, God, as they just drive us closer to you. As they make us trust you more. As they make us cling to your promises. And Lord, we're so grateful for your promise that if we search for you, we will find you. Thank you that you're a God that reveals yourself. You're a speaking God. You're a moving God. You're a God that's amongst your people. And God, we trust that you'll keep all your promises. And all your promises, God, are yes and amen in Jesus. Thank you for being an infinite and wise and good king. You're, you're the best king. Oh, and may we be loyal servants to you. Make it so. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen if you open your Bible to Psalm 5, the fifth Psalm. I'm so grateful for last week and our time celebrating the Lord's Supper. What a privilege it was to to share in the Lord's table with you. It's one of my heart's desires and passions is for the church to begin to fully realize all that the Lord's Supper entails for God's people. And this morning we'll be looking at prayer, and that's another, another passion of mine is, is that we would understand what prayer is, and that we would know the God of prayer, and what a gift He's given us in prayer. So, this week we'll continue our, our journey through the Psalms. We, we took a week uh, off last week, and uh, this book is called the Psalter. Remember, as we said a few, four, five, six weeks ago, that the Psalms in the, in the Hebrew language, it just means praises or book of praises. And that title in the Greek language is really translated to mean a plucking of strings to suggest that there's some type of instrumental accompaniment in these songs. These songs are a collection of worship songs to God. And really the whole theme of the book of Psalms, all 150 Psalms, really the the whole theme is the king and his kingdom. And, And the key word all throughout the Psalms is hallelujah or praise the Lord. And in this book of songs or this book of Psalms, they assist us in proper worship of God. God is to be worshiped properly. Correctly, rightly, as he has commanded. And so as we travel through these psalms, you're going to see so many emotions. Each, each week, it seems there's a different emotion that's, that's drawn out of us, or one that we can sympathize with, as many times David is the writer of these, and we, we feel sometimes this, this deep devotion. Other times, there's these intense feelings, and there's this exalted emotion, and then at other times, there's even perhaps this dark Rejection, And so no matter where you are in your personal Christian walk, there is always a psalm that will speak directly to your spiritual state, right to your heart. And that has been my prayer for you this week. Oftentimes each week there is a prayer that I pray specifically for those that will hear. And and this week my prayer for you has been that God would strengthen you, truly, truly strengthen you. As you see him in his word. And so let's look at Psalm chapter 5 this morning. We see there in our superscription, it says, For the choir director for flute accompaniment, a psalm of David. And this is God's word for us, beginning in verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter into your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God, by their own devices let them fall. And the multitude of their transgressions thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So we see there in the superscription, it says, for the choir director for flute accompaniment. Your version may use that word, that word, nealoth, and uh, especially the King James Version interpret that word flute that way. So if you remember back in chapter 4, there was that word neginoth, and that just means a stringed instrument. Well, the word neolith is a flute, or it's a, it's a pipe with, with holes that have been bore in it. And so this psalm would have been sung, would have been performed as a worship song unto the Lord on a flute. And then we see in verse 1, we see David pleading with the Lord. Look at verse 1 with me. David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. We'll only probably get through the first three verses this morning. We just want to go methodically through this, that the Lord would bless our time as we see the importance of relying on Him in prayer. So David here pleading with the Lord. Give ear to my words, O Lord. See that word Lord there? It's all capital letters. That's God's covenant name. That's his personal name. It's Yahweh as we often will interpret it and say it. It means the eternally existent one. And so here we have David here and he says, Oh, listen to me, God. Oh, God, hear the words that I'm saying to you. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, consider my groaning. The King James Version interprets that word, my meditation. And so what we, what we get is the sense of that word of this, this speaking under our breath, this, this, this muttering and this whimpering and this, this moaning, this, this groaning. So first, Lord, would you hear my words? And then in the next line, Lord, would you, would you consider even my groaning? David is saying, Oh God, would you would you please hear the words that I'm praying? And then would you even consider, would you discern, would you understand, would you observe what I'm groaning about? Lord God Yahweh or Lord God Jehovah, give heed. Pay attention, understand my groaning. So I'm sure you've come to realize I really like Charles Spurgeon, and he has a wonderful quote. He says, groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers which cannot be refused. Groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers which cannot be refused. Can you sympathize with that this morning? Have you ever been in such a a position or uh, such an emotional state of prayer that that it's it's almost nothing but just moans and groans? And I'm not talking about whining and complaining. Sometimes we use that phrase, oh, he's moaning and groaning. He's just whining and complaining. But no, this, this sense of this deep emotional pouring and pleading and submitting of yourself. And the psalmist says, Consider it, Lord. He's saying, God, can you just can you just sort it all out? And so as you come before the one true God, sometimes your words are very few. But but your your heart is just so fervent in prayer, in communion with God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you been there? God, I don't even have the words. I'm just groaning and muttering and, God, you're going to have to figure it all out because I'm just coming to you. Dear Mr. Spurgeon goes on to say, sometimes we cannot put our prayers into words. They're nothing but a cry. But the Lord can comprehend the meaning, for he hears a voice in our cry. You know, there, there are people who, they don't really know God that well. And, and they, they think they have to pray with some type of special words. I want to put that to rest in your own heart this morning. You know, they think that prayer sounds like some kind of formula where you have to have these set words and these, these certain particular phrases. But if you know God... You can come to him without being poetic. You can come to God without being extravagant. You can just pour out your soul's thoughts, words, cries, even sounds to God, and he will hear you. As all good examples do, they, they break down, but particularly if, if you had a good earthly father if you had a good dad in some sense you talk to god the way you would talk to your dad in in some sense not fully and by that what i mean is is you're you're respectful but you're comfortable that that he loves you and that he understands you you know it's it's never casual with god it's, it's never irreverent with God, but it is confident. We see that in the book of Hebrews. It, it is confident, and what I mean by that is you, you have this great assurance when you go to God in prayer. You, you know that you have an audience with God, not because, you know, you're something special, but you have an audience with God because Jesus has made that way. And you can come, as the Bible says, boldly and with much confidence, but we don't go casual and irreverent. Dr. Lawson, I I quoted him as we began Psalm 1 about a month ago, and and I can't remember if I was talking with him in in Chattanooga or or in Arkansas, but there was a group of us ministers there, and, and Dr. Steve Lawson was talking to us, and he made this observation He said that he he noticed the prayers of of very young Christians, very young saints, believers, but very young in their faith. He noticed that the prayers of very young Christians and the prayers of of very old saints, very mature Christians that have walked with the Lord for a very long time, both, both young Christians and very mature Christians, he noticed that their prayers were very similar. He said their prayers were just... Simple and modest. They they showed this total reliance. You know, sometimes when we come to to Christ in, in faith and maybe we're tempted to think, well, I don't know all those churchy words and all this pomp and circumstance. And once you finally realize, oh, I can just talk to God. I have an audience with him. He loves me because of what Christ has done. And then somewhere along the way, we we get a little high-minded and haughty. And we try to impress and become extravagant. Not that we shouldn't go to God and pour out our hearts, whatever the emotions. That we shouldn't give him our best with our thoughts and our minds and our words. But we lose that simple modesty. And along that refining process in our Christian walk is... We mature in the faith. It seems oftentimes as if the Lord brings us back to that simple, childlike understanding. Simple, modest, total reliance. Look at verse two. Heed the sound of my cry for help. I'll stop there for just a moment. What kind of situation is he in? What does he need? He needs help, right? How many times have we felt guilty? Oh, I, I can't go to God in prayer. It's, I'm needing help, and I just I feel bad going and asking for help. And, and here we see David. And in his prayer, he says, Heed the sound of my cry for help. Heed. We don't hear that word a lot. It means hearken. That doesn't really help. We don't hear the word hearken a lot either, do we? But it means to be attentive, to to incline your ear, to, to listen to me, to give my cry to you, God. Give it attention. Oh, God, would you regard, would you regard the sound of my cry? And make no mistake, it is a cry for help. One of the greatest prayers we can pray is, help, oh Lord. That's it. Help, oh Lord. There's a cry for help. The, the psalmist, he has, he has nowhere else to go to. He has no one else to go to. And, and that's really a, a serious question for us this morning, is, is where else, where else do you possibly have to turn? You know, you know, maybe you're, you're just struggling with, with doubt. You're just going to be honest. I'm, I'm just struggling with some doubts in my life. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety. Just be honest. Who else and where else do you have to turn? Who else do you have but God? If you remember John chapter 6, that's a very long chapter. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, he's here on earth. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life in you. And he's using this very strange, this very difficult language to many of his followers. And he says, if you feed on me, you will live. That it is his flesh and his blood that give eternal life. And then in verse 59 of John 6, Jesus said these, these things... He was teaching them in the synagogue of Capernaum. And then in verse 60, it says many of his followers said, this is a a hard saying. Who can understand this? And then verse 66, one of the saddest verses says from that time, many of his disciples or many of his followers, they went back and they walked with him no more. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to his 12 disciples, and he says, do you also want to go away? So, so Jesus says some things concerning his, his body and his blood and this partaking of him for eternal life. And, and these followers of his, they, they kind of look around, and they're like, ah, I don't know, man. Like... That's kind of weird. Uh it's kind of hard to get with. Uh I don't I don't really get what you're saying. It's making me uncomfortable and they just throw up their hands and they say, "Yeah, I'm out." You know, Jesus, it's you know, it's been cool. It's 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 been pretty neat hearing you and and witnessing some of your miracles and being entertained and being miraculously fed. And you know, that was interesting, that was fun. For a time it was it was cutting edge, but I don't know, when you start talking about flesh and blood and feeding on you and partaking in your blood, that's you know, that's just too hard for me. So uh, exit stage left. And that's when Jesus he turns to his twelves and and he asks, Do you want to leave too? And we see in our slide what one of the 12 Simon Peter answered in John six sixty eight. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got it. <laughs> who else are you going to go to? Who else are we going to, to turn to? In your cry for help, who else can you turn to? Who brings life? Who gives salvation? Who grants peace? Who brings redemption? Who gives right standing before a holy God? David understood. He says, it's to you I cry, God. And our words should also be that of Peter. God, I have no one else. God, God there are no other avenues. God, God there's, there's no other options. There's no other saviors. There's, there's no other kings. There's no other gods. But you, Lord God of the Bible, you, God, the great I am, you are all I have, and you are all I need. Notice in verse 2, what title or titles does David use? He says, heed the sound of my cry for help, my king and my God. He's saying, my God absolute lord my sovereign my judge my leader my divine and royal ruler my king and my god is christ that today is he your king is he your god truly is he Is he your king and is he your God? And look at the last last line of verse 2. He says, for to you I pray. It's to you my king and my God to whom I pray. So first in verse 1 it was give ear to my words. And then it was consider my groaning. And now it's heed my cry. That's David's prayer. There's, There's words, there's groaning, there's even crying. And so David's pleading with God to give ear, to listen, to consider it. God, that you would understand it and sort it out. And then, Lord, would you heed it? Would you pay attention to it? Would you observe it? I'm praying to you, my God and my king, no one else. I'm praying to you, my God and my king, only you. And what better reason for God to hear our prayers? What's a better reason for him to hear our prayers other than that he is our God and he is our king? That's what good kings do. They listen to the people. We're not aliens to God. He is the king of our heavenly country. He's the king of our hearts. We're not strangers to him, but we're his worshipers, and he is our God. We are his loyal subjects. We're his servants, and he is our God. And he is our God by covenant. He is God by, by uh, his promise. He is God by his word, and he is our God by the blood, by his covenant By his promise, by his word, and by his blood. He is our God, and he is our king. And then look at verse 3. Look look at the assurance of David. He knows that God really does hear his prayer. Verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. That first line again, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. You will do it. You will hear it. That phrase, in the morning, obviously it means at the end of the night, at the coming of daylight. And figuratively, it means a bright joy after a night of distress. David is saying, God, after a time, after a season of distress, on the morrow, you will hear my voice. And then the psalmist, he repeats that phrase in the second line, and he says again, in the morning. And then he continues, I will order my prayer to you, and I will eagerly watch. I will pray. I will do this. David will not be silent. He will not withhold his speech. But I will pray, and I will watch. And so we get this sense here that, that David, he's, he's praying, and he's, he's pleading, he's, he's groaning, and he's striving, he's, he's wrestling, and, and he's crying out to God in prayer. And then the sun starts to, to peek through the darkness, and David is reminded, his soul is strengthened, his heart is emboldened in his God and in his king that his prayers have been heard. He says, you will Hear my prayer. So, so not only has David been, been tearing with God in prayer through, through this soul's dark night, but he says in the last line of verse 3, in the morning, I will or I'm, I'm gonna, as we say in the South, I'm gonna pray to you. I will pray to you. Read the last line of verse 3. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you. I'm going to do it. It's as good as done. I'm going to do it. I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And so now David here, he's established his resolution. David is resolved that come morning, he will also pray. He's been praying through the night, and he says, in the morning, I'm praying to you. And notice the use of his words. He says, I will order my prayer. Kind of an odd phrase, is it? I will order my prayer. That word order means to direct my prayer or to arrange my prayer, to, to, to set out my prayer, to, to lay out my prayer in order before you, God. David is saying at the very beginning of my day, my prayer will be set out. It'll be arranged. My prayer will be handled and carefully laid out before you, God. And that word order or your version may say direct. I will direct my prayer, I will order my prayer. It's the same word used in the Old Testament to describe placing pieces of the animal sacrifice upon the altar. It's the exact same word that's used of placing wood upon the altar. It's also the same word used for arranging the bread in the tabernacle. I will place, I will order, I will direct, I will arrange my prayer before you. And as David orders, directs, lays, prepares his prayer before God, it also brings with it this military connotation. It's like when a a soldier presents himself to his commander to receive his orders. David is presenting himself to the Lord. Lord, I am presenting myself to you. Here I am, God. Do what you will. Lord, here is my prayer. I'm I'm laying it all out before you. I'm arranging it before you, Lord. And then look at the last phrase in verse 3. And I will eagerly watch. Your version may say, I will look up. And it conveys the idea of this waiting expectantly. Expectantly for God to come and for God to bless. Some of y'all have gotten to know my daughter, Caroline. She's my oldest girl. They're not here this morning. They're, they're visiting uh, one of our sending churches. Um, but just a couple days ago on Friday, she, she comes just like busting in my bedroom that morning. And, and she's so excited and she's smiling so big and she's, she's hugging her school books, a big old thick stack of them, bookmarks everywhere. And she's holding her school books to her chest, and she says, I'm all done. Now, now she's normally not a morning person. Out of the seven of us in our home, she always gets up the last. She always sleeps the longest. But there she is standing at the entrance to, to our bedroom, and she's, she's holding all of her, her homeschool workbooks. And she says, I woke up real early, and I couldn't sleep uh, because everything that we're going to do today. And so I came down super early this morning. I got all my books. I went back upstairs, and I, I've done all my lessons. They're all done, Dad. And she goes on to explain that uh, we were helping a church in town uh, Friday um, she wanted to help with their feeding program, and then she was so excited to come here and help Pastor Andy and, and all the, the youth as they packed the boxes for today. And then after that, she was going to get to go to her grandma's house and make gingerbread, you know, the whole, the whole story. And she was just so eager. There, there was this, this anticipation like, I can't sleep anymore. It's going to be a great day. And we see this here with David. He says, in the morning, I will order my prayer to you, and I will eagerly, with much anticipation, watch. I will watch. I will wait expectantly. I will wait. I will look out. I will look for the answer. I will look up to see what your reply will be, God. And I will expect the blessing. Whatever God ordains is best, his will will come. This particular phrase in this particular verse has convicted my personal prayer life So much And I wonder if it's true In your own We're really good At telling God our needs And prayer is much more than that But we're really good about Praying for ourselves or somebody And it's usually that's it Right? God here's the problem You got it I'm out of here I got things to do I feel good I prayed today But what does David do? He says in not only do I pray, but I'm eagerly watching. I'm scouting and scoping out how you're going to answer this, God. Not I told you this is what I want, and God, you're going to do it, and so get around to it because I need it. I, you know, I blabbed it, and now I'm going to grab it. Not that. Just, Lord, I have trusted you with this. I have laid it out before you. I trust you know what's best for me. And so, Lord, I, I just can't wait to see how you're going to do this. And it's probably not what I'm expecting. It's usually not what I'm expecting. But I'm expectantly looking for it. I, I can't wait to see how you're going to answer my prayer. There's this, this expectation. How are you going to do it, God? I can't, I can't wait to see you move. I can't wait to see you answer this according to your infinite wise and holy will. And there he waits expectantly. Or do we just pray and move on? And and the bonus of waiting expectantly is when God does answer that prayer and whatever he deems is best, we're to thank him and we're to praise him. How many prayers, how many prayers in our own life has God answered and we have never, never thanked him for? Because we got 33 more piled up. We're about to unload on him. How many times have We waited expectantly and then given him thanks. So David says, I will eagerly watch. I will wait expectantly. I will look out. I will look for the answer. After I've prayed, I will expect the blessing. Whatever God ordains is best, he has prayed. He's laid it out. He's arranged his prayer. And now David looks. He looks to see what what door God would open before him in response to his answered prayer. He prays to God, and then he looks up to God. He doesn't look down to the world. He doesn't look down to all the corruption and the insanity. But he looks up to God for the answer. He's waiting expectantly. And boy, y'all know my son Buzz. That kid can ride a bicycle. And when somebody's coming over, all he wants to do is ride that bicycle. And he'll ride up to the road, and we live on a dead end, and he'll look up the hill. Nope, they're not here yet. He'll come back to the house looking over his shoulder. He'll turn his loop, ride back to the, to the, to the end of the driveway, look up the road. Nope, they're not here. It's just constant. Dad, when do you think they're going to be here? When are they going to get here? What time are they? Have you text them? Where are they at? Plus, I don't know. They'll be here when they'll be here. That expectation. Oh, just looking up. When are they coming? How's he going to reply? God, how are you going to answer this request? Our slide in Micah 7, 7 says, But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So we're to direct our prayers to God, and then we are to expectantly and eagerly await for God's perfect timing. Are we doing this? Or do we throw up our prayer never really expecting an answer, and just move on. But the psalmist here, David, he prays to God knowing he's having this this full assurance. He is so confident that God really hears his prayer. And then David says he eagerly watches to see what God will do. He he has this excited anticipation. he's, He's searching out. He's being vigilant. He's observant to see how God will answer his prayer. You know, it's the same word that's used for the night watchman the one who is on duty. He's always scanning the horizon. He's always on the ready. He's listening and he's looking and he's ever vigilant. And David is saying, God, I've prayed to you. And now my God and my King, I am watching for your answer. I have this longing and this looking for you. God, how are you going to move in this situation? Faith has, has so filled his soul with anticipation, he has, he has launched his arrow of prayer, he has carefully laid out his request, and now he is ever mindful, ever looking for God's response. The English Puritan, William Gurnall, he wrote that classic work, The Christian in a complete armor. He says this, if you do not believe, why do you pray? And if you believe, why do you not expect? By praying, you seem to depend on God. By not expecting, you again renounce your confidence. O oh, Christian, stand to your prayer in a holy expectation of what you have begged upon the credit of the promise. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying it If if you don't believe, then why are you praying? But apparently, you believe because you are praying. But then you pray and then you don't look expectantly. So it's kind of canceling it all out. It doesn't make sense. So when you pray believing, then continue to believe and expectantly look, having full confidence that God will keep his promise. And so, are we watching? Are we looking expectantly? Are we living like this? Not these are my terms and you will meet these, God. But God, this is is my heart's cry. And I'm trusting you to do what's best. Come what may, you answer it as you will. But Lord, I am watching. I am watching to see how you will respond to this. Are we doing this in the morning? Are we going to God in prayer? Are we really laying out our prayers before God? Are we reporting to our king for duty? Can we say with the psalmist in verse three in the morning, God, you will hear my voice. (laughs) Or is it, oh man, I forgot it's the end of the day and I've not even prayed yet. Or can we say with the psalmist in the morning, in the morning, you're going to hear my voice again. And so as he prayed, David, he's, he's waiting in expectation. He's believing that God would answer him according to God's perfect timing and God's will. He's looking with this eager expectation. David's confident that his, his prayer has, has risen to the throne room of heaven. His prayer has risen to the very presence of God. He has watched eagerly now to see what God would do. But where does this confidence come from? How can David pour out his heart freely to God? How can he be so sure that God will really answer him, that God will really rescue him? And and this whole message of of Psalm 5 and the, the, the entire psalm is that David's hope is grounded in the character of God. The hope of his prayer is that he knows who God really is. That's why I prayed that for you this week, is that you would know who God is in his word. And that's what we're going to look at next week. That we can have confidence. We have this great hope. Because it's grounded in who God is. But with our text this morning, who do we see? And we see this precious view. This precious, precious view of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. So when we begin talking about the psalmist, where he's, he's crying to God and he's, he's groaning And maybe that makes some of us feel a little weird and uncomfortable because maybe you've never really prayed like that. Maybe the Spirit's never really moved that way in your life. Maybe you've never been in such a dire situation where, where that's just been pulled right out of you. But we have a great example. And more importantly, I want to I encourage you Christians who have been struggling in your prayer life and, and who can't figure out all the right words and, and who has so many of these emotions that they just can't sort out their words to God. Jesus, our elder brother, the great shepherd, the coming king, while he was on earth, he too prayed and pleaded. And our text here says that he even cried with tears, with loud crying, with tears. And so when your your prayers get you there sometimes, the situations in life bring you to that sense of urgency in your prayer. Oh, rest assured, you are in great company. And brothers and sisters, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your substitute, you're trusting in Him as your only hope. To know this. That God hears you when you pray. He really hears you when you pray. Don't believe the lie that He's not listening. Don't believe the lie that He doesn't know what you need. Don't believe the lie that He is not concerned with you. He hears you when you pray. I want to encourage you with This last quote from J.C. Ryle. He says, fear not because your prayer is stammering. Your words feeble and your language poor. Jesus can understand you. Have you went to God in prayer? Would you pray with me? Oh God, you have been so faithful to hear the prayers of your people generation after generation. Oh, and we cling to that great promise, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. No shifting shadow, no changing. You are who you are. And just as you have heard all the faithful saints before us, oh God, you hear us today when we pray. Teach us to be a people of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.